city heart be flooded with stuttering sounds. Gutter music for silver lining clouds tumbling down. Town we breathe in Welcome to Working Class Heroes Radio, everybody. This is a show about working class culture and politics. We are based in what is currently Occupy Lenape land, a.k.a. New York City. My name is Lupita Romero, and I'm one of your hosts tonight. And I'm Mel Gonzalez, your other co-host. On tonight's show, we're going to speak with Prakash Churman, a young Guyanese immigrant from Queens who was incarcerated for six years at Rikers Island without a fair trial. He'll be speaking to us about his experiences with the criminal justice system and how it's been since he got out. We'll also be speaking with Carl Hamad Lipscomb from the Brooklyn Community Bail Fund about pretrial detention and the fight to reform that money bail system. We'll be opening our phone lines starting now. So make sure to give us a call if you have any experiences or thoughts about the bail system or pretrial detention, um, especially during this pandemic. So in a few minutes, um, feel free to give us a call at 212-209-2877. And again, the number is 212-209-2877. For now, we'll start the show with headlines from this week. In international news, this past Monday, the Myanmar military arrested State Councilor Aung San Suu Kyi and ousted her from her position, along with other members of the political party, the National League of Democracy. In both the capital and other major cities, citizens woke up to road blockages, canceled flights and phone lines, internet and TV channels under control of the military, who declared the nation to be in a state of emergency for up to a year. The military had been in a power-sharing relationship with Suchi and the NLD since 2015, when the country held democratic elections after decades of military rule. Suchi has been criticized for her complicit role in the nation's genocide of the ethnic Muslim Rohingya majority in the Rakhine state. Over 20,000 Rohingya people have been killed by this violence. Hundreds of thousands of others have been driven from their homes by the violence from fascist Buddhist gangs along with the military and are being housed in refugee camps in Bangladesh and many other countries. Some citizens have responded to the military takeover by holding rallies and planning direct action. However, most remain wary and in a state of caution as the state military has historically been incredibly brutal in repressing political expression. There is growing outrage over the expedited deportation of black immigrants, despite the otherwise decrease in removal proceedings under Biden. On February 1st, immigrant rights organizations filed a recent federal civil rights complaint detailing civil and human rights violations committed against Cameroonian individuals in the custody of ICE at the Wynn Correctional Center in Louisiana. The complaint describes the violence they experienced at the hands of ICE officers, including being handcuffed, choked, and beaten to force their signatures on their deportation orders. According to the complaint, the three asylum seekers had ongoing appeals, stays of removal, or motions to reopen their legal cases. And it states that, quote, the use of violence to force individuals in ICE custody to involuntarily sign documents is a continued pattern and practice that ICE's leadership has ignored. And in response to the federal complaint and pressure from immigrant rights activists, 
ICE canceled a deportation flight to West Africa on Wednesday afternoon. The flight included one of the detainees who gave testimony in the complaint. ICE has stated that the flight was canceled in order for the individual to be interviewed as a witness for that case. And on Friday, deportation flights to Haiti were also canceled after all-night calls by activists and advocates. While advocates find this as a hopeful sign of the Biden administration trying to rein in ICE, they continue to demand that all deportations be halted. This past week, working class heroes, along with other immigrant rights groups, hosted a virtual rally with family members of individuals detained by ICE who have been deported or threatened with deportation. We want to play a clip from Daniel from the Haitian Bridge Alliance, speaking to some of the conditions that Cameroonians referenced in the federal complaint. These deportations have to stop by all means possible. And uh, first of all, I'd like to start by using this opportunity to remind President Biden and Vice President Harris that um, immigration is also, is also a black issue and that um, all hands need to be on deck for us to stop this deportation. And we are completely um, depending on him and waiting for him to do something about this because we can't keep having um, babies being deported, babies as young as 10 months old, being put on long flights. Those babies have done nothing wrong. And we have all seen that um, immigration prisons were all created to catch people, which is so inhuman. And we, we call on the administration to protect all asylum seekers by setting them free. That's the protection we need. And I would like to talk specifically on the cases of um, Cameroon and Haiti. Um, Cameroon has been experiencing um, an ongoing um, civil war, a crisis for um, so many years now, and uh, the government is killing civilians. Uh, prison conditions in Cameroon are terrible, for which young men are being caged and prisoned just for, protect, for protesting and asking for peace and asking for um, equal rights. These men are caged and prisoned and tortured and beaten, some of them killed, and when they escape um, these horrible conditions to come to the United States to seek for freedom, we have them being caged after traveling through horrible conditions um, through Central America. We come to the United States to seek for freedom. We have them being caged and uh, tortured, forced to sign their deportation papers back to their graves. And now, moving on to local news. On Wednesday, protesters gathered outside of New York State Rochester Police Union after the union president said that its police officers followed protocol when they pepper sprayed a nine-year-old black girl while responding to a call for mental health assistance. The incident occurred on January 29th when the police were called to the child's house by her mother. When they arrived, the young girl was visibly upset due to a fight between her parents. Her mother requested mental health assistance for her daughter from the police. But despite this, officers proceeded to ignore the request and use the violence force against her. A body cam video of the incident shows police forcing her to the ground, handcuffing her, and another officer pepper spraying her in the face when she refused to enter the police vehicle. Rochester Mayor Lovely Warren has ordered the suspension of officers involved in the incident. Protest and public outrage over the dehumanizing actions of the police has also pushed New York State lawmakers to introduce a new legislation that would ban law enforcement from using chemical irritants such as pepper spray on any minors. On good news this past week, New York repealed the law known as the Walking While Trans Ban. 
This repeal strikes a state statute, which has resulted in exposing Black and Latinx women in particular to police targeting and harassment. We'd like to thank and congratulate the tireless efforts of civil rights advocates, sex workers, and activists to whom this victory should be credited. In other local news, on January 19th, the de Blasio administration released shocking data detailing the impact of coronavirus and the impact that has happened that it has had on the unhoused population of New York City. The report was compiled by the Department of Social Services and shows that between July of 2019 and June of 2020, deaths in the unhoused population have increased by 52%. From the start of the pandemic to June of last year, 120 unhoused people have lost their lives to the virus. Although the city implemented social distancing measures in its crowded shelter system, moving more than 10,000 unhoused people to single occupancy hotel rooms in the spring of last year, certain parts of the shelter system are still operating communal spaces where social distancing measures continue to be violated. Advocates continue to put pressure on the city, demanding expansion of social services for the unhoused and that all unhoused people still in communal shelters be placed in hotel rooms to avoid any more unnecessary deaths, especially in this winter. And lastly, to end the headlines, we are working class heroes want to thank and salute MTA workers and all other city workers who continue to work during the blizzard this past week and its aftermath despite mismanagement from, and from Governor Andrew Cuomo and MTA leadership. Their work this past week to keep New Yorkers safe was heroic. And that's it for headlines. listeners. That was Senegal Fast Food by Amadou and Mariam featuring one of my favorites, Manu Chao. You're listening to Working Class Heroes Radio on WBAI 99.5 FM. We're also streaming on WBAI.org. So if you've been listening to Working Class Heroes for a while, you know that we've been consistently covering issues of the criminal justice system and immigrant detention policies. These are two populations that have been very ignored throughout the pandemic when it comes to health and public policies. 
And to understand the experience of Prakash, who we're going to be interviewing later about his own experience uh, being incarcerated, um, and to understand the experience of thousands of others who are currently detained in local jails while awaiting trial, we want to break down a little bit of what's going on with pretrial detention and how it is that it drives mass incarceration in New York City, but also the rest of the country. Um, and so as Mel mentioned, we want to hear your thoughts and experiences, if you have any, with these issues. So please give us a call at 212-209-2877. Again, that's 212-209-2877. So I think, you know, before we get started, I think it's worth uh, mentioning the fact that the U.S. locks up people at a higher rate than any other country in the world. And a substantial amount of the people incarcerated are actually there pre-trial, you know, before being convicted. Currently, half a million people are detained in jails across the country pre-trial. And that's a number that has been increasing, quadrupling since the 80s. On an average day, more than 2 million people are locked up in jails, mostly before trial. And in fact, we have less hospital beds than jail beds. And the same kind of thing is true for, for ICE detention. Nearly 170,000 immigrants were detained in 2020 for an average of at least three months, oftentimes, and as we've heard many times on the show, for a lot more time. Um, and, you know, people are, are experiencing jail conditions that are, um, that are inhumane for the most part, that are overpopulated, um, and that don't allow people to really um, live a decent life. Um, and one of the things that, you know, we also know in addition to the fact that these jail conditions are terrible is that many times when people are offered bail, um, bail is set at such a, such a high rate that people either can't afford it or they, you know, they have to turn to bail companies who then charge them um, a money that they don't get back. And basically, ex you know, extracting money from predominantly low-income folks who are the ones who are being detained in the first place. Um, and in detention centers, you know, the problem exists as well about overcrowding. In Bergen County Jail that we've heard about before um, in, in New Jersey, as of December 28th, capacity there remains at 140%. Absolutely. And, you know, I think we've had a long history of incarceration in this country. And so, you know, even the system of bail and what it means to give people the option of bail, which is when, you know, you basically pay money so that you can uh, come back to court when your trial has started instead of being detained while you wait for your trial. This system was originally created as an incentive for people to not flee the criminal justice system, right? Um, but I think, as you mentioned, what actually has happened is that there, because of the unjust inequality in this country, that bail system actually benefits people who have the money to spend on bail and keeps others um, inside. And so, you know, there has been an ongoing debate, especially during the Obama years, about doing away with bail, doing away with inde uh, indefinite detention before trial, pretrial detention. Um, and, you know, there were series of reforms that had been that had been passed in 2019 in New York State. 
um, the New York State Assembly actually pa- passed a set of reforms that was supposed to do away with bail um, for most misdemeanors and nonviolent offenses. Um, and then if people remember, um, there was actually a huge pushback from the police department and from prosecutors and law enforcement uh, who basically said that crime would increase rapidly and that people who've been first time offenders would commit more crimes if they were released uh, before their trial. And what was interesting about that debate is that the NYPD prosecutors were never actually t- able to turn in hard evidence about these claims that if they got rid of bail funds, if they got rid of the bail system and ended pretrial detention, that crime would go up. They never submitted any actual evidence um, to the to the state. But nonetheless, Governor Cuomo caved under that pressure. And even though a lot of these reforms were supposed to take place in January of 2020, he actually rolled back that implementation and um, took away some of the some of the key reforms that had been put in place. Uh, and so it made other crimes uh, not el- eligible for, for bail that had previously been done away with. Um, so I think that this is this is definitely um, an issue that that has come to affect black and brown communities disproportionately. And that has also made like a multi-million dollar system um, that benefits mostly prosecutors and the city from uh, incarcerating people for long periods of time. Definitely. And I think, you know, during the, the coronavirus, the situation has only gotten worse and more more shocking. And, and jails have unfortunately become super spreader events or sites across the country and in ICE detention centers as well. A recent study shows that half a million cases of COVID this summer were linked to mass incarceration, um, including prisoners, detained folks pre-trial, and and ICE detainees. Absolutely. Um, And so before we take uh, our caller, um, we do have somebody on the line. Before we go there, uh, we also did want to share a clip from uh, someone who is currently detained uh, by ICE in Bergen County, who is also facing uh, some of the same conditions we've been talking about in prisons. Um, So this here now is Carlos Colindres. My name is Carlos Colindres Gomez. I've been detained for 11 months by ICE. And three months ago, they moved me from Essex to here in Bergen, where things are more critical. Where we are, there is no space. We don't have the necessary conditions to live decently like a normal person. There are also many defects here. Even the food, it's gone bad. The commissary, where you can buy more, it's very expensive. There's no heat in the cells. It gets very cold at night when you try to go to sleep. I felt that I can't breathe. I can't sleep face up. I have to sleep face down. And still it is difficult to breathe. I went to the doctor who prescribed me asthma medicine to see if it helps because the conditions here are critical. This past week, they brought us jackets and then thermoses. They try to do some things, but the cold is overwhelming. 
So my message to those in power is to give me the opportunity to reunite with my children. I have three children. Since they detained me, they've been without my support. They need my moral support. And as much my moral support as my economic support. I ask them to give me freedom, to be released and given the opportunity to fight my case while outside, just like they've done for others. I ask them to exercise their conscience and understand my situation. That was Carlos Colindres, currently detained in Bergen County Jail, talking a little bit about his situation um, there. Well, to talk a more about these issues, we want to bring on one of our guests, Carl Hamad Lipscomb. He's the Director of Advocacy and Policy at the Brooklyn Community Bail Fund. Welcome, Carl. Thanks for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. Well, you know, unless you have someone on the inside, I think most people don't really know how bail works um, in general or why so many people are, are against bail and money bail in particular. So could you kind of give us an introduction about how it works and what it has to do with, with pretrial detention? Sure, yeah. So I think as many people know, when you're arrested in New York, you'll most likely appear before a judge within 24 hours. At that appearance, which is called the arraignment, you'll learn what you're being charged with. Um, and then in most cases, you'll be given another court date. This is where bail comes in. At this stage, a judge will let you know whether you're free to go home and return to court on your next appearance date or whether you're going to be detained um, before your trial. Um, sometimes a judge will say, um, if you have to, you know, you have to pay this particular amount of money, um, we'll let you go if you pay this. Um, but otherwise, um, you know, if you're not able to pay that, you'll remain detained. This is bail. It's a cash for freedom system. It's like a ransom that um, one has to pay in order to go home. Um, you touched on this a little earlier, but because of a set of um, major reforms that passed in 2019, in New York, under most circumstances, you'll be released pre-trial without having to pay cash bail. But there are a number of important exceptions that are taken advantage of. Um, most of them are based on what you're charged with. So if you're charged with something that's considered a violent felony, um, a judge can hold you on bail. If you, um, you know, if you um, are charged with some sort of parole or probation violation, like, you know, missing a meeting with your probation officer, a, jar, a judge can hold you in on bail. Um, but again, all of this is at the judge's discretion. They don't have to hold you in on bail. They can give other conditions um, like ankle monitoring or um, counseling, um, supervision, et cetera. So I think one of one of the uh, surprising facts for me was to realize that really this a extremely small percentage of people actually end up missing court dates when they're set out on bail. Um, when it comes to some of the exceptions that are in these reforms, why do you think it's important to have alternatives to incarceration before trial? Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's a very fundamental issue that um, when you're arrested, you're charged with something. So the whole, you know, concept of innocent until proven guilty, which um, you know, our criminal legal system really does a bad job of upholding. Um, so that's one. Um, you know, if, if you're innocent um, before your trial, then why are you being caged? Um, why are you being held accountable for something um, that, um, you know, hasn't been established? But I think more importantly, it goes to the, it goes to like, you know, the fundamental 
um, belief that, um, you know, caging people is a human rights violation um, under any circumstance. Um, people um, shouldn't, be cons- shouldn't be caged um, and caging people doesn't do anything to promote um, community safety. It doesn't do anything to promote healing. And more often than not, um, you know, in cases where an individual is harmed, they usually don't want, um, you know, the person that harmed them to be caged. They want to be able to, you know, they want um, resolution. They want healing. They want to be able to address trauma. Carl, you know, we would love to hear a little bit about um, what your organization does in particular, especially since I know you all have moved to be working on immigration bond, which is something that people um, know even less about and that affects a lot of our community. Um, So if we have time, we'd love to hear a little bit more about that. But let's go to one of the callers that we've had on hold for right now. Yes, hello? Hi, yes, caller. Yes, I I was just... um... Um, observing what's going on because um, I had a little experience with, you know, thank God, um, with uh, police and everything. I think a lot of people don't understand that what they should, what they have at their hand is you need to go to a law library. I know people say, oh, I don't got the time and everything, but the thing being is how they're doing what they're doing is because people don't know how to maneuver. Really, and um, a police officer doesn't, in the Riverside case, okay, police don't have the discretion to arrest you. Really, most of the time, he's supposed to take you to a magistrate. What they've been doing is, is the difference between a constitutional court and a legislation court. See, a legislation court, they can do whatever they want, and that's not protected under the Constitution. This is, this is what they've been doing. A constitutional court strictly goes by the Constitution. And what they've been doing is, and then Johnson versus the United States, it tells you if you don't know your rights, they don't have no obligation to tell you anything. And then you have um, um, Susan B. Anthony versus the United States, where they made two kinds of citizens, one made by Congress, one, uh, one you're born into and created by God. So you have all these things that a lot of people do not know about. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. You know, I don't I don't know that our listeners know what those two major uh, Supreme Court cases you mentioned are. But I we definitely agree with you that, um, you know, there are a lot of ways in which the systems that have been created actually violate um, many constitutional rights that we are supposed to have. Um, Carl, do you. we want to get to the issue of, you know, how um, how bail or bond works in ICE detention. But first, do you have any uh, opinions or any thoughts on what the caller was mentioning? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that um, I would just say that the police, um, you know, they're the police are out of control. Oftentimes, you know, like in especially in our militarized policing regime, um, individuals really stand no chance against this system that's that's predatory that preys on poor communities and preys on communities of color and so i always encourage people to learn their rights to educate themselves about the law because it's so inaccessible um, but also to fight for change um, to join community organizations that are working to change um, you know our criminal legal system 
So transitioning to what your organization does, um, how, what, what is your organization? Um, how are you pe- assisting people in ICE and uh, regular prison systems? And how can people plug in and find out more about it? Sure, yeah. The core of our mission is we work to free people. Um, we do that through advocacy for by fighting for policy change. We collaborate with partners, grassroots organizations, other other advocacy groups on campaigns. And then um, when it comes to immigrants in detention, we run an immigration bonds fund. So we pay um, immigration bonds um, so that um, our community members um, can be free so that they can reunite with their families and they can fight their immigration cases um, from outside of detention. Well, thanks so much, Carl. Um, amazing to hear about uh, the work that, that you all do. Um, you know, we have a lot of people that listen to our show who are currently detained. And I hope, you know, that they are, are listening and can, and can um, understand some of the resources that are available to them. Um, so thanks so much for, for coming on. I encourage people to, to go to your website and, and take a look at what you guys are doing. Yeah. Can you share with us what your website is? Yes, please. Um, it's www.brooklynbailfund.org. And yes, for all of your listeners that are in detention, we encourage you to reach out, reach out to us. Um, again, we have an immigration bonds fund. We also just have a ton of resources, um, you know, on your rights on uh, what, you know, U.S. immigration, um, just, you know, to help you understand the system. But um, please do reach out to us. Well, thank Got you, it. Um, I think now we're going to turn to to Julian, who's going to be interviewing Prakash Churaman, a young immigrant who was recently released on bail after six years awaiting a fair trial. Um, they're also going to be taking callers, so please call in at 212-209-2877. Stay tuned, y'all. Hope by Arlo Parks. You're listening to Working Class Heroes Radio on WBAI 99.5, also streaming on WBAI.org. My name is Julian Guerrero. Happy to be here with you all. A uh, big shout out to Mel, Lupita, and to Carl for being on our show and, and breaking down instances of the, of the criminal justice system where we see problems with pretrial detainment and cash bail and so on and so forth. Uh, I just want to remind our listeners that our phone lines are open. We want to hear from you and what you think of the New York City criminal justice system. The number again is 212-209-2877. So tonight's featured guest is Prakash Churman. 
Prakash is a young 21-year-old Guyanese immigrant who spent six years incarcerated without a fair trial. Prakash, welcome to Working Class Heroes Radio. Uh, thank you very much, Julian. Uh, I want to thank you and um, thank everyone at uh, Working Class Heroes Radio for you know everything they've done for me, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to have you. Um, before I go ahead and ask you a few questions, I actually want to provide just a little bit of context for our listeners and for those who haven't heard uh, our previous shows where we featured your struggle. Here's a short clip from our first story on Prakash's case. We got a call from a young man who's stuck in jail on Rikers Island. This is a clip from the message he left us. Hi, um, my name is Prakash Sherman. I am um, currently incarcerated on Rikers Island. I was in, I was arrested in December 2014 for a crime I did not commit, and I'm still, to this day, uh, awaiting a fair trial. It's been almost six years now. Um, I was arrested at the age of 15. I'm now 21 years old, and basically, like, I've been voiceless and silenced from the day my freedom was taken from me. For the last six years, I've been experiencing nothing but injustice and inequality. I need your help, please. At least to help me get my voice and my story out there. We decided to take up his story. I connected with his support group and I scheduled an interview with Prakash. From our interviews with Prakash and his supporters, we released a two-part story called Can't Be a Victim to the System, the Prakash Churman story. We released those episodes in October and November. So listeners can also listen to these shows through our website at wchradio.org. The story didn't end there. After about a month later, uh, in December, his supporters rallied on December 9th, demanding his freedom. His story then began to receive attention on social media, which led to several groups and supporters to organize actions to pressure the Queens District Attorney through email, through social media, and through phone calls. Not long after that, Prakash was granted bail with the help of his new attorney, Jose Nieves, who petitioned the state appellate courts to overturn Prakash's remanded status. More campaigns were then launched to gather signatures for his petition and to gather donations to help Prakash get out of prison and back home for the first time in six years. On behalf of all of us at Working Class Heroes Radio, it is a real pleasure to have you on the show without any interference from the carceral state. So Prakash, let's let's maybe just get into it. You know, personally, watching your whole story play out in real time has been really an incredible experience uh, to watch you fight for your innocence and for your freedom and to be out now at home. So my first question is, what did you do on your first day being out on bail? Um, I just was like, my, uh, I just came home and uh, I just spent, you know, I mean, some quality time with my family, man, because it's, it's, it's been a long, long time. And, um, you know, I just I just want to catch up on lost time. That's all. I want to ask you about your transition from being locked up to being out on bail. You know, you probably thought about being free for the entire six years of your pretrial incarceration. Now that you're out on bail, what's it like, man? Was is it different from what you imagined? Uh, yes, most most definitely. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> the number one thing that really, you know, um, really like surprised me was technology. It's mind blowing. It's, it's really mind blowing what, what technology has, how far technology has has advanced in the last six years. 
Definitely. Are there any moments of, of sort of shock or culture shock that you're feeling regarding technology? Nah, yeah, because it's still kind of like I've only been home for like about maybe, you know, two weeks and some change. Um, so it's like I'm still kind of like, you know, going through the, the motions of, you know, adjusting to society. Got it. You know, some of our listeners have been in Rikers, some haven't, and some are still there as we speak. Uh, for those who have never stepped foot on Rikers Island, can you describe what it was like being there for six years, especially as a teenager? Um, man, being incarcerated on Rikers Island, like, it, it, it's a nightmare in and of itself, bro. Um, it's like Rikers Island is like one of the most notorious jail slash prison in the world. Can you tell us a little bit about like what some of your experience, like some of the things that sort of stick to your mind still? Um, Like uh, I'm so, I'm so used to, to like hearing keys, um, you know, being woken up to, 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 um, to stand up for the count. <sighs> A lot, a lot. You know, I remember you telling me that, you know, so, for some of the first few days that you were back, you struggled with, with sleep. How's how's that, you know, is that still an issue for you or how are you trying to cope with that? Uh, nah, yeah, that is still an ongoing issue with me right now. Um, but I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to cope with, you know, with, with that issue. Got it. So, you know, Mel and Lupita, they spoke a lot along with Carl about, you know, pretrial detainment and, and issues with that. What, you know, I don't know if you were able to hear all of what they said or what Carl was saying, but what are your thoughts on pretrial detainment? Uh, pretrial detainment, man, I think that should just be, that, that, that should be abolished, like, just taken away. Like, I feel like every, every individual that is arrested should be given, you know, the opportunity to, fight their case from society. Yeah, can you speak about how uh, pretrial detainment sort of like hampers and stops one's ability from advocating for themselves? Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, being locked up, being incarcerated is definitely a hurdle. And, you know, it, it, it hinders it hinders you from, you know, presenting an adequate defense in your case. And, and, it, and it also just automatically like makes you look guilty. Right. And that's why, I mean, I think you spent nearly every day perhaps calling people incessantly to get your story out there to find some support. Can you tell me what it was like to, to go through that? Yeah, man. Um, one thing I, I could really say is I, I really dedicated my life and my energy to the law library. Um, because probably without the law library, I probably I most likely wouldn't be where I'm at right now. You know, um, in 2017, uh, I graduated uh, from high school on Rikers Island, and it, it just felt so good, like like to really accomplish something in my life. You understand? Mm-hmm. Being this, being in the situation I was in at the time. Definitely. I mean, it sounded like it was something you had to do day in, day out. How did you deal with with the sort of monotony of the same day sort of happening? I, I just keep like, I just keep telling myself like, one day, one day I'm going to clear my name, one day. Um, we're going to 
actually, I just want to remind our listeners that, you know, our phone lines are open. We want to hear from you if you have any questions for us about the criminal justice system or if you want to show your support to Prakash or ask him a question, you know, feel free to give us a call right now at 212-209-2877. Again, that number is 212-209-2877. Prakash, you know, now that now that you're home um, and you're out on bail, uh, you know, you spoke during our our interviews in, in the past, you spoke about the impact of being incarcerated had on your mental health. Um, you know, what are some of the, now that you're out on bail, what are some of the resources that the state is offering to help you sort of deal or adjust with, with this transition? Um, uh, currently right now, the, the state, the state slash city, they're not really helping me as far as anything right now. I'm, I'm currently, you know, having an ongoing issue with applying for Medicaid. So that right there is, is right now what one of my, you know, one of the main issues in my life right now that I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, rectify. What do you, what are some of the resources you, you still feel like you need or still think that the state should, should at least assist you with or, or provide some guidance for? Um, I feel like, you know, everyone released from custody should, you know, should always have like a like a, a care plan so like they're prepared so like they just basically like I, I posted bail and I was released into this into society with no guidance no nothing so I'm just right now seeking help and assistance from organizations that do assist um with reentry as you know as far as uh fortune society uh goso and uh young adult services from um health and hospitals. Definitely. I mean, I think, I mean, to me, that seems appalling, right? That, that the city or the state would jail you, um, not give you a, free, uh, a fair trial. And of course that, that experience itself has an impact on your mental health. And then when they give you bail, being forced to give you bail, right? Uh, reluctantly giving you bail. Now that you're out, they don't seem to give you or offer you any sort of help or assistance to continue I don't know, some of the treatment or medicine that you were getting while you were imprisoned, right? So it seems it seems like you're being set up to fail by the city or state. What do you think? Yeah, I, I definitely concur with you on that one. Um, um, the system is, is really designed, you know, to to fail us, to, to fail people of color, people that come from, you know, poor upbringings, low-income communities, like is designed to, to fail us. I actually want to ask you um, a question right now about, you know, the people that you were incarcerated with. Do you miss them? What would you say to them if, if you could say something to them, if they were listening right now? Um, I, I would tell them, man, to, to stay focused. Stay focused and, and do, not, do not let anything distract you. Or sidetrack you. Um, that's pretty much it. All right. Well, I think we have a caller on the line. I want to welcome that caller and see if we can take their question. Caller, welcome to Working Class Heroes Radio. What's your name and where are you calling from? My name is Steve. I'm calling from uh, Mount Vernon. Steve, welcome and, to uh, Working Class As a person that was in uh, Rikers Island uh, many years ago, uh, was which was a bogus a bogus situation that I got involved with. 
I hope the brother there is determined to become an attorney to help make the system work better for us. Uh, the problem is the police, the judges, the lawyers, all the people, all the court officers. When I say court officers, I mean the attorneys, the officers, the court officers. Um, this whole prison thing, this whole system, because they see it's wrong, they see it doesn't work, and as it was said earlier, a few minutes ago, it's at the judge's discretion. People talk about Bruce Wright, Judge Bruce Wright. Go back, look at it. They call him Cut Him Loose Bruce. He was an African-American judge who was denied access to the, some of the most prestigious colleges because, just of, because of his color. And when he started to adjudicate cases, they talked about him because they didn't like the way he adjudicated them. He tried to be as fair and equitable as he possibly could. And we have to do something about it. We have to speak to judges. We have to speak to attorneys because they know exactly what the law is and what's in the law to help take care of it. That brother should have never been. He should have never been in jail or in rifles for six years. The emotional strain that you're going through now after being out there, you're probably afraid to walk the street. You're probably, probably trying to hide. Become an attorney, make a, make a difference. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate your call. Prakash, do you have any comments or thoughts? <clears throat> um, I mean, what he said was right. I, mean, I, I agree with what he said. Okay. Um, so we're going to actually take a quick musical break. And when we come back, we're going to ask Prakash a few more questions and see uh, what, what, what else we can, we can talk about and share here on Working Class Heroes Radio. So stick around. was Fight For You by Her. You're listening to Working Class Heroes Radio on WBAI 99.5 FM, also streaming on WBAI.org. My name is Julian Guerrero, and I'm here with Prakash Churman, a young man who spent six years behind bars without a fair trial. He's now home on bail, awaiting another trial to clear his name. I'm going to ask Prakash a few more questions, but again, our phone lines are open, so give us a call if you want to ask him a question, show some, show some support, or comment on the criminal justice system. Our number is 
209-2877. For Carlos, let me ask you a question. As someone who has spent, I mean, I'm asking you a bunch of questions, right? But as someone who has spent time in Rikers and, and, and on the phone and trying to get a lot of uh, people to, to talk with you and to help you with your story, what would you tell people um, who are outside um, about how to best be there for and support people still on Rikers? Um, I would just say like communication, communication is the key. Um, and I definitely believe in um, connecting and networking with anyone and, and everyone that's willing to at least hear you out. So we actually have two callers on the line and I want to ask them or give them a chance to, to see if, you know, they want to ask us a question or, or comment. Uh, let's, let's go to our first caller. Caller, welcome to Working Class Heroes Radio. Uh, what's your name and where are you calling from? Yeah, Hammer. I'm calling from Queens. And uh, my question is, how come um, he didn't access a heaviest courses? Heaviest courses, and I have experience in that, thank God. Um, why didn't he, um, well, I guess he didn't know. I mean, um, but the Lord Library, that a heaviest courses is a very, very powerful weapon. Okay, and you won't stay in jail for that long if you access that habeas corpus. And not only that, it's, it's, um, it's under common law jurisdiction, it's under statutory jurisdiction, especially in New York. They have to come with charges or they have to release you. It's not an arraignment, it's a habeas corpus. So I asked him, um, did, he, did his legal team or anybody um, tell him about a habeas corpus? Thank you, uh, caller. I appreciate the question. Prakash, I don't know if you can speak to this question. I think it's a, perhaps it's a question that might be, um, because of an ongoing case, a question that you might be, not be able to, to respond to. But again, habeas corpus, uh, for our listeners, is defined as a writ requiring a person under arrest to be brought before a judge or into court, especially to secure the person's release unless lawful grounds are shown for their detention. I think in the case of Prakash, the sort of lawful grounds that were being argued by the DA was that, you know, he was part of a, a felony murder. And so that's, I mean, there was nothing there really insofar as evidence, it seems to, to, to keep, to, to really keep him there. But Prakash, I don't know if you want to speak. Um, why do you think you, you know, were detained, even though there was uh, little evidence? I mean, and again, if, if you don't want to respond to this question, I completely understand. Um, now I, I, I'll answer the question. Um, now, normally when someone is charged with, uh, you know, a violent felony, uh, nine times out of ten, they're, they're going to be remanded and sent to jail. Uh, a habeas corpus, uh, they have two different habeas corpuses. Um, there's a there's, there's a habeas corpus on a state level and habeas corpus on a federal level. Oh, yeah. Is there is there a distinction between the two? Uh, yes, because... um. One could be taken to a federal court, which is, you know, Eastern Eastern District, um, Northern, Southern District. Um, and then you have the state appellate courts. Then you have the Court of Appeals, which is the highest court in New York State. Got it. Thanks for breaking, you know, this very complicated system down for us. Um, I want to go to our second caller, actually. Um, caller, welcome to Working Class Heroes Radio. Uh, your name and where you're calling from. Uh, I, uh, I, my name is Lee. I'm from Manhattan. I listen to these programs on WBAI, and there's uh, one, the Fortune Society, 
uh, is for people who have been released. I understand you uh, now that you're out on bail. I don't, I don't know uh, if that's any different or not. But there are people at the Fortune Society, and maybe uh, another person, David Rothenberg. He works with the Fortune Society for many years, and he could give you some idea. He's as he's a presenter. He has two programs, one on Monday morning at 9 o'clock, I think, uh, 9 to 10, maybe 10. Uh, but in any case, that's one person, David Rothenberg, R-O-T-H-E-N-B-E-R-G. That's 99.5 FM, okay? That's WBAI, okay? Right. Call, Thank call, you, Caller. Yeah. I appreciate your information. They were pointing us to David Rothenberger from the Fortune Society and see if you know they can provide any help. Uh, to you, Prakash, and, and your case, and to you know any of our any of our listeners, I want to quickly talk or ask Prakash, you know, what are your next steps uh, now that you're out on bail? Where where are you going? What's happening next for you? Uh, I'm gonna con- continue raising awareness um, in regards to m- to my case, um, and I'm I'm going to trial. I'm I'm going to go to trial and prove my innocence, clear my name. And um, go on with my life. We definitely show our solidarity with you. Is there is there something that people can do to help you um, show your show their support for you in your case and and for your fight for your innocence? <clears throat> yes, they could um, you know, uh, attend uh, rallies. Uh, you know, sh- share um, social media posts, share my GoFundMe, uh, sign and share my petition. Got it. And so for our listeners, uh, you uh, will find that information online if you go to change.org and type in Prakash Churman. Uh, Same with the GoFundMe. Uh, Prakash has a GoFundMe active right now. He's still seeking donations and support. So you can go to GoFundMe and type in Prakash Churman. You should be able to find all that there. Prakash, are you having a rally anytime soon that you want to invite people to? Uh, Yes, I do have a rally. It is scheduled for 1 p.m. sharp on February 10th, Wednesday, uh, in front of Queens Criminal Courthouse on Queens Boulevard. And I have a a scheduled appearance uh, in court at 2 p.m. Got it. Thank you. Um, We'll definitely be there. um, And I hope it, it goes well for you and that, you know, we'll see you permanently free from the carceral system. Prakash, I just want to thank you again for being on our show. It really has been an honor for us, an incredible story to watch play out right right before our eyes. Um, so thank you again for, for being here with us. Uh, uh, definitely. Um, uh, I want to thank you, man, because um, you, you helped me, man. You, you helped me along my journey, man, for real. Um, I want to thank you and everyone else that really, you know, assisted me. And, and you know, getting to where I am now. I appreciate that. We definitely appreciate that here at Working Class Heroes. Um, you know, this is this is why we have this show, and um, you're a working class hero who have, who continues to fight and and bring attention to these issues. and And it's just a pleasure for us to be able to give you a platform for that. So, unfortunately, we're out of time for today. Uh, I want to thank you all for listening. Uh, shout out to the Working Class Heroes team for their work on this show and to Gio, our engineer here at WBAI. 
just a quick heads up. We're going to be out on break next week. But when we come back, we'll be taking a look at the struggles of restaurant workers here in New York City and across the country. So tune in on Saturday, February 20th at 6 p.m. right here on WBAI 99.5 FM. Until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and as always, New York in solidarity. Seven minutes later, yeah. on cool down, brother.